Good morning and welcome, each one of you. Children, I have a question for you. If I say Jonah, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Anybody? A big fish. That's the first thing I think of, too. Anything else that comes to your mind with Jonah? I've been, I've felt drawn to the book of Jonah for the last, I don't know, probably eight months. It's a very short book. It's only four chapters, a total of 48 verses. But I keep going back there and reading it again. I think there's so much that I need to learn about God and about myself in the book of Jonah. It doesn't take long to read it. So I've read it over and over in the last eight months. What is the theme of Jonah? Is it repentance? Jonah records one of the largest mass turning to to God in history. Or is it the sovereignty of God? You see that all through the book. Or is it Jonah's relationship with God, you find that all through the book as well. Or is it God's love and mercy for all people? William MacDonald said, the book of Jonah is a commentary on Romans 3.29, which says, is he, not, is he the God of the, Gen- the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the God of the Gentiles also. It says Jonah is a commentary on that verse. The answer is yes to all of the above. <clears throat> the book of Jonah is about repentance, the sovereignty of God, Jonah's relationship with God, God's love and mercy for all people. It's all of those. When I started studying Jonah, I was surprised to learn that several commentators felt that the book of Jonah has been attacked more than any other book in the Bible. If that is true, I believe it's because Satan feels threatened by what is found in the book of Jonah. You don't attack something you're not worried about. Some people view the book of Jonah as an allegory or a made-up story to teach something because they find the miracles in the book too hard to believe. This criticism really didn't start until the late 19th century. Over 700 years after Jonah's life, the Lord Jesus spoke of Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to turn there. Very briefly, Matthew chapter 12, reading verses 38 to 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. 
Lord Jesus recognized <clears throat> Jonah as a real person. I want to state clearly that I believe Jonah was a real person, and the things recorded in the book of Jonah happened just as they are recorded. They are there for us to learn from. We don't know a lot about Jonah, except that he lived during the reign of Israel's King Jeroboam II. Turning briefly to 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25. This is where we find the only other prophecy of Jonah recorded in Scripture. 2 Kings 14, 25. And speaking of Jeroboam the second, I'm going to jump in in the middle. Verse before says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then verse 25, he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Jonah would have been glad, I'm sure, to prophesy an increase in Israel's territory. King Jeroboam II was the mightiest of, of the northern kingdom's kings, and he expanded their territory again quite a bit. And Jonah had prophesied this increase would happen. Gath-Hefer, where Jonah was from, was about three miles north of Nazareth in Galilee. Jonah ministered after the prophet Elisha, and just before Amos and Hosea. The book of Jonah probably happened around 760 B.C. <clears throat> I don't intend to get very far in the book of Jonah this morning, and Jolyn, I won't get to the great fish. <laughs> um, but I want to just give a, a brief introduction to the book and look at how Jonah ran from God. We'll pick, we'll pick up uh, the rest later. I'm going to read uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Verse 1 doesn't tell us much about Jonah, but that he's the son of Amittai. One commentator noted that an introduction was not needed for the original readers of this book because Jonah would have been popular. He would have been well-known in Israel. <clears throat> Jonah needed no further introduction. Jonah is sent to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Israel's main enemy, Assyria. 
Nineveh was situated on the east bank of the Tigris River, right across from what is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. The Assyrian Empire dominated the ancient biblical world from the 9th to the 7th century. Assyria was an extremely cruel nation. Unger's Bible Dictionary says, the records of history are nowhere more bloody than in the records of the Assyrians' war. They love to keep records of what they did to their enemies. It's gruesome to read. Some of their inscriptions show them skinning their enemies alive, making heaps of the skulls, stretching the enemy's skins on their city walls. It, it's sickening. The Assyrians, the Assyrians were so feared that there were instances where whole villages would commit suicide when they saw them coming and knew they had no chance. Rather than fall into their hands, they would commit suicide. But God cared about the Assyrians. He wanted to have mercy on them. And so he sent his prophet to warn them. At this time in history, people viewed solar eclipses as a warning of impending doom. And it's possible that God may have used two famines and then a solar eclipse on July 15, 763 B.C. to prepare the Assyrians for Jonah's message. <clears throat> Many commentaries point to those three things, two famines and a total solar eclipse, that may have helped prepare them, open their hearts to the message of God through Jonah. found that really interesting. So God tells Jonah to go to some of the most vicious and brutal people in history. People who don't just kill their enemies, they want to torture them first. It reminds me of what's going on today in the very same part of the world where ISIS is making videos of them beheading those who don't agree with them. To put myself in Jonah's shoes, I had to wonder, how would I feel if God said to me, Nate, get up and go to Mosul, Iraq. And I want you to go to ISIS and tell them they are wicked and in 40 days I'm going to judge them. How long do you think I would last? I don't expect... I would last very long. Without intervention from God, I would expect I only need a one-way ticket. There's no sense in buying a return ticket. That's what Jonah was facing. I believe Jonah fully expected he would be killed. Or worse. So Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh, and he buys a ticket to Tarshish. No one is sure exactly where Tarshish is. They believe it was on the southwest coast of Spain. So Jonah rebels against God's command. God tells Jonah to go 500 miles northeast. Jonah buys a ticket to go 2,000 miles west. God told Jonah to go to the greatest metropolis in the world, 
Jonah goes to, buys a ticket to a small outpost on the outer edge of civilization. God wanted to go with his prophet. Jonah wanted to run from God. In fact, in verse 3, it seems repetitious, but Jonah's making a point. He tells us two times that he was trying to get away from God. He was going from the presence of the Lord. Does that work? Jonah would have known Psalm 139. I had to think of that in reading Jonah. I'd like to read you just a couple verses. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. I'm sure he knew this well. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Verse 9, to put that in plain English, the wings of the dawn, if I were to... If I were to travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, and go to the furthest place in the vast ocean, the most remote place in the ocean, even there, God is there. Isn't that what Jonah was trying to do, to take a ship and go to a remote place, trying to escape from God? Jonah knew that God was omnipresent. He knew he couldn't get away from God, but he tried it anyway. Have you ever done something that you knew you probably shouldn't or that wouldn't work? It didn't really make sense, but you try it anyway? I have. Maybe Jonah thought if he got far enough away, God would change his mind and say, ah, just send someone else. Don't worry about it, Jonah. You don't need to go there. Or I'll just... Let's forget about it. We won't. Nineveh's pretty wicked, so I just won't. I don't know what Jonah was thinking. But maybe he thought God would change his mind. Have you ever tried to run away from God? Or have you ever argued with God? Don't like where he wants me to be. Don't want to do what he wants me to do. Have you ever been there? I'm ashamed to tell you a story, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm going to tell you about a time that I argued with God. It was in August of 90, 1994, I received a phone call asking if we would consider moving to northwestern Ontario to an island in the Laxo Indian Reservation. To start an ACE school, the principal of the public school was a Christian, and he wanted the parents to have the chance to decide if their children, to give their children a Christian education or to have them go to the regular public school. Ann and I had been married for exactly one year, and we were living an hour south of here in beautiful Madison County. I liked where I was and what I was doing, and I didn't want to go. 
when I got off the phone that day, I said, well, the answer to that is no. I won't be going. And my wife looked at me, and she said, aren't you even going to pray about it? I'm ashamed to say that I said, oh, I'll pray about it, but I'm not going to go. The arrogance and self-centeredness, I'm, but that, that was my response. I'd made up my mind. I wasn't going to do it. You see, back when I was in school, I had determined I would never teach school. Those poor teachers were stuck inside for 10 months out of the year, and I thought, I surely couldn't do that. I would go insane, I was sure. And I made a vow I was not going to ever teach school. And so, decision's already made. I was asked, and I said, I'll think about it, but I really wasn't planning to think about it. I'm ashamed of that. In the next several days, I repented. And I told the Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere. Anywhere he wants me. God began to show me, remind me of ways that he had been preparing me for that move, even months before the call came. I didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I can see how God had been preparing me to receive that phone call, the one I didn't want. To this day, I'm very grateful that Ann and I moved to Kijik Bay Island. Not just for what God did in the hearts of the people there, but for what God did in my heart. I needed the work of God in my heart. And I'm very grateful for that. <clears throat> when I argue with God, the bottom line problem is usually I don't want to unconditionally surrender my will to his. And so I argue or run. Usually it's because I think I know better than my creator. That sounds foolish to say it, and it is. But that's sometimes where we find ourselves. It's because I think I know better than my creator. I don't trust that he really has my good in mind. Often I assume that if I don't understand something, there must not be a good reason. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden? They were deceived and believed that God's command not to eat from one tree was because he was withholding something rather than he was looking out for them. He had their good in mind. They didn't trust his goodness, his good intentions toward them. Many people have compared the book of Jonah with Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Some have wondered, if Jesus had Jonah in mind, 
when he told the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, in the, you'll remember the, in the story, the, the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son demands his inheritance. He rebels against his father. He, he is in open rebellion and runs away from his father to live as he pleases. Meanwhile, the older son stays at home and outwardly obeys everything. But inside, his heart is not with his father. He's not obeying because he loves his father. And that becomes apparent. So in the first half of the book of Jonah, Jonah is like the younger son who openly rebels and runs away. In the second half of the book, Jonah is like the older son who obeys the rules but doesn't really love the father or those that he thinks don't deserve mercy. So why didn't Jonah want to go? There's a number of reasons. I've told you the Assyrians were brutal. And that's probably one reason. Are you crazy? They'll kill me. Another might be God had never sent a prophet to Israel's enemies before. He had never sent a Jewish prophet to Israel's enemies. God was doing something different. Also, another thing I think of, the Assyrians had been doing raids in northern Israel for years. It is very possible that Jonah had seen family members or friends tortured and killed by the Assyrians. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to forgive, to want these people to experience God's mercy? And yet, God wanted to have mercy on the Assyrians. Or Jonah may have been worried about his reputation. What about my reputation? I'm a well-known prophet. What I prophesy happened. If God has mercy on these people, I'm to tell them 40 days God's judgment is coming. What if they repent? 40 days goes by and nothing happens. I'll be labeled a false prophet. God, you're ruining my reputation. And then what if they repented? Then God would have mercy. Turn to, Jonah actually says this is the reason he didn't want to go. So I'll just quote him. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2. Actually, I'll read 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He didn't want to go because he didn't want to see God have mercy on the people of Nineveh. Until I see my own sinfulness, I, like Jonah, will not understand how God can have mercy on wicked people and still be just. It's when I realize how merciful God has been to me personally 
that I can extend his mercy to other people. No matter how far I run, God is still present and waiting for me to turn to him. Think of Psalm 145 and verse 18. It says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. In thinking about this truth, Mark Hall wrote in his song, One Step Away, you're one step away from surrender. One step away from coming home. One step away from arms wide open. His love has never let you go. You're not alone. You're just one step away. Jonah was trying to run from God. And sometimes we try to run from God. But God's still there. While I can't go back and redo the past as much as I would like to, I can't go back, but I can turn around. I can turn toward God. He's right there. This is only the beginning of the story, and the next time, I want to look at how God, in His mercy, responds to His runaway prophet. I want to leave you with a, with a homework assignment. It'll only take you about 10 to 15 minutes. But this week, or this afternoon, sit down and read through the book of Jonah. Ask God what he wants to say to you through Jonah. I believe God has, there is so much packed into the book of Jonah, and I hope that this morning has simply whet your appetite to look at the remainder of the book, and uh, I'm excited about doing that. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you for the, the stories, the life stories that are there that we can see how you relate to people. Thank you for the hope is there that we can always turn, even when we run from you or argue with you. You're still there. We can't escape your wonderful presence. And there's hope because we can turn to you. And you wait for us. Lord, I pray that as, as we go from here, would you speak to our hearts about areas we need to turn over to you. May we do that and walk with you this week as we go about our our various duties. We ask that you would be honored in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. <clears throat>